Gracious Father in heaven, what a joy it is to live in these last times of earth, Earth's history, the times when the prophets look forward to and long to see for themselves. We thank you for your promises and your word, and we pray that you will be with us today as we, as we look at inspired statements and experiences of uh, how you can lead souls to Jesus through health and education ministries. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, here comes our water, and we will go ahead and get started here. Thank you so much for the water. My uh, mouth is dry already and haven't even started. <laughs> but uh, The role of health professionals in establishing educational and health institutions. As I've been studying for this and reviewing some of the things that I have studied over the years, um, you put one here if you don't mind. I, um, I thought I would find a lot of examples of health professionals that started health institutions. But you know, it, uh, it turned out a little bit different. As we look at history, what um, we know that um, John Harvey Kellogg did start a health institution, and uh, we won't spend too much time looking at that model because it didn't turn out too successfully. But uh, that's right, and actually the, the school was there before. Um, he didn't start the school. But um, nonetheless, let's uh, again take, take a look at some of these things. First, um, going to look at a quote from the Madison School. It says, before we can carry the message of present truth in all its fullness to other countries, we must first break every yoke. We must come into the line of true education, walking in the wisdom of God and not in the wisdom of the world. God calls for messengers who will be true reformers. We must educate, educate to prepare a people who will understand the message and then give the message to the world. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to understand the mes message ourselves and give it to the wor world. We want to train others, our young people especially, uh, to, to do this. And so today, just to give you a little outline of, of our talk, I want to look first at some of the philosophical undergirding, uh, the counsels and information that we have been given that uh, should motivate us to want to start health institutions or su support health institutions. And then we're going to look at some examples. And then I'm going to end with some personal experiences of my own and how God has blessed and led in the experience my wife and I have had in uh, beginning Washtenaw Hills Academy and then later college. And we will end with a real neat little two-minute uh, video that uh, was just done. It's uh, just done the last few days, and uh, no one else has seen it. But it's uh, a little video tour, and um, it's to me it kind of will give you a little idea of how God has blessed and led in, in his project in this little town in, in Arkansas. Okay, let's go ahead. The next um, quote is from um, education, and there's a whole section, uh, excuse me, testimonies. Testimonies, volume six. There's a whole chapter, whole section in testimonies, volume six on education. She says, then let no more time be lost in dwelling on the many things which are not essential and which have no bearing upon the present necessities of God's people. 
Let no more time be lost in exalting men who know not the truth, for the time is at hand. There is no time now to fill the mind with theories of what is popularly called higher education. The time devoted to that which does not re, uh, lead or tend to assimilate the soul to the likeness of Christ is so much time lost for eternity. <coughs> this we cannot afford, for every moment is freighted with eternal interest. Now, when the great work of judging the living is about to begin, shall we allow unsanctified ambition to take possession of the heart and lead us to neglect the education required to meet the needs in this day of peril? It goes on. In every case, the great decision is to be made whether we shall receive the mark of the beast or his image or the seal of the living God. And now, when we are on the borders of the eternal world, what can be of so much value to, more, much value to us as to be found loyal and true to the God of heaven? What is there that we should prize above his truth and his law? What education can be given to the students in our schools that is so necessary as a knowledge of what saith the scriptures? This is all taken from 6T, 130-131. We know that there are many schools which afford opportunities for education in the sciences, but we desire something more than this. The science of true education is the truth, which is to be so deeply impressed on the soul that it cannot be obliterated by the error that everywhere abounds. The third angel's message is truth and light and power and to present it so that right impressions will be made upon hearts should be the work of our schools as well as of our churches, of the teacher as well as of the minister. Those who accept positions as educators should prize more and more the revealed will of God so plainly and strikingly presented in Daniel and Revelation. <clears throat> and um, on another page, the same uh, section of 6T, Bible study is especially needed in the schools. Students should be rooted and grounded in divine truth. Their attention should be called not to the assertions of men, but to the Word of God. Above all other books, the Word of God must be our study, the great textbook, the basis of all education, and our children are to be educated in the truths found therein, irrespective of previous habits and customs. In doing this, teachers and students will find the hidden treasure, the higher education. Bible rules are to be the guide of the daily life. The cross of Christ is to be the theme, revealing the lessons we must learn and practice. Christ must be brought into all the studies, that students may drink in the knowledge of God and may represent Him in character. His excellence is to be our study in time as well as in eternity. The Word of God spoken by Christ in the Old and New Testaments is the bread from heaven, but much that is called science is as dishes of human invention, adulterated food. It is not the true manna. In God's Word is found wisdom unquestionable, inexhaustible, wisdom that originated not in the finite, but in the infinite mind. But much of that which God has revealed in His Word is dark to men, because the jewels of truth are buried beneath the rubbish of human wisdom and tradition. To many the treasures of the world remain hidden, because they have not been searched for with earnest perseverance until the golden precepts were understood. The Word must be searched in order to purify and prepare those who receive it to become members of the royal family, children of the heavenly King. And I'm sure every parent in this room has a burden for their children. And we as a church have a burden for our young people to 
prepare them for citizenship in the, the world to come. And this needs to be the underlying purpose and goal of all of our, our institutions, whether schools or sanitariums, clinics, whatever, whatever it is. I was visiting with a physician just this morning and he was sharing how easy it is to be so um, connected, you might say, with the education that we are given that we have when we see the conflict with the educational principles that we have experienced going through school and what God says, it's hard to make that transition, isn't it? Well, let's um, look at this statement in Mind, Character, and Personality, first volume, page 53. Now, as never before, we need to understand the true science of education. If we fail to understand this, we shall never have a place in the kingdom of God. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. If this is the price of heaven, shall not our education be conducted on these lines? That's uh, a sobering thought, isn't it? To think that um, uh, if we don't understand true education, which leads us to what? To Jesus as the source of eternal life, then uh, we will lose out a place in heaven. And uh, so that's, that's our challenge today, to look and see how our institutions can conform more to God's plan and less to man's plan, and how we as professionals can uh, facilitate that. Just a couple of statements from the seventh volume of the Testimonies. The Lord has instructed me to warn those who in the future establish sanitariums in new places to begin their work in humility, consecrating their abilities to His service. The buildings erected are not to be large or expensive. Small local sanitariums are to be established in connection with our training schools. And again, she says, schools are to be established away from the cities. And. Uh, Unfortunately, we're here, I think, about a hundred years longer than God intended for His people to be on this earth. And many of the dedicated, hard-working uh, teachers and nurses and physicians and, and dentists who helped start institutions years ago, as we're going to see, um, were successful and followed God's counsel, but the cities grew up around them, and uh, they no longer uh, fulfilled that requirement. But again, she, uh, going on, she says, schools are to be established away from the cities where the youth can learn to cultivate the soil and thus help to make themselves and a school self-supporting. In connection with these schools, all the different lines of work, whether agriculture or mechanical, that the situation of the place will warrant are to be developed. Let means be gathered for the establishment of such schools. In them, students may gain an education that, with God's blessing, will prepare them to win souls to Christ. If they unite with the Savior, they will grow in spirituality and will become valuable workers in His vineyard." And um, this picture is, is a little bit facetious. We, uh, we don't expect you to take, uh, you know, <laughs> take uh, your education out this far into the country, perhaps, but uh, we thought it was an interesting picture that might, uh, might fit this, this quote. <clears throat> 
and <clears throat> uh, the best, that the best results may be secured by the establishment of a sanitarium near a school, there needs to be perfect harmony between the workers in both institutions. And we're going to look at some of the examples uh, in the South, some of them not too far from where we sit today, that uh, followed the example of either starting a school and then adding health rooms or uh, our health uh, facility, or sometimes it went rever in reverse. But um, there are some challenges and uh, things that need to be dealt with in having two uh, operating together. Uh, there needs to be perfect harmony between the workers in both institutions. This is sometimes difficult to secure, especially when teachers and physicians are inclined to be self-centered, each considering as of the greatest importance the work with which he is, um, he is most closely connected. When men who are self-confident are in charge of institutions in close proximity, great annoyance might result were each determined to carry out his own plans, refusing to make concessions to others. Both those at the head of the sanitarium and those at the head of the school will need to guard against clinging tenaciously to their own ideas concerning things that are really non-essentials. And that's from the Madison School, page 15. Um, I have talked to, over the years, uh, I don't know how many individuals who were medical directors in programs that had com combined schools and health facilities. And I know from hearing the same story over and over again how frustrating and, um, and um, the problematic it can be unless this council is, is strictly adhered to. Um, I've talked to physicians who felt like they were working so hard and had worked so hard to get a professional training. And um, <clears throat> of course, everyone was on the same salary structure, but when they saw those from the school flying all over the country and, uh, you know, the health um, ministers don't, not having a budget for that type of thing, it, it built in a lot of frustrations and, and aggravations. But um, I believe because God said, we should do it, that it is possible to have both functioning in harmony. And um, <clears throat> we'll see a little later on a, a beautiful example of how that, um, how that has happened in the past. Okay. Um, before, let me go back to just a little bit and um, talk about uh, some of the little institutions that uh, sprung up in seventh volume of the testimonies, Ellen White had counsel for people to go to the South. And if you'll remember a little history, the Civil War was over and the South was badly neglected. The North pretty well just let it be and they didn't send any money or do anything for the poor people. And many of the black people who had been, had been slaves were now freed and they had no source of security or, or uh, way of taking care of themselves and so it was it was a it was a really bad time in the south and um, <clears throat> so God counseled through Ellen White that it would be well if if our uh, dedicated people would go to the south and help the people the impoverished people in the south and um, <clears throat> in 1933 this little booklet was was published entitled sketches of the united work of small schools and sanitariums um, and um, 
it was pulled together by W.C. White, Ellen White's son. And um, <clears throat> it was, it's really interesting. I just uh, came across it recently. And it uh, tells experiences from uh, many of these little places that sprung up, Pee Wee Valley, uh, Sanitarium and Hospital, Pisgah School and Hospital, Fountainhead Rural School and Sanitarium, and Fletcher School and Sanitarium, and on and on. And in the back is actually a directory of all of the uh, institutions that had been set up in the South, and there's something like 30 or 40 of them, directory of health centers in the South. But uh, one of the interesting things that I found as I read through this, and these were mostly started by graduates of, guess where? Madison, Madison College, that's right, and uh, who had received the type of education that we have just read about here this morning and uh, were, were filled with uh, zeal and desire to, to help other people and to start work in these un unentered areas. And at one time, in fact, um, there were 50 of these units operating that had been spawned by Madison College. And uh, <clears throat> I believe that this is why the work in the Southern Union is where it is today, yes. because of the inspiration and the, the uh, uh, willingness to go and do and be, uh, be used of the Lord. And <clears throat> just as a little aside, this was actually what has motivated my wife and I as we've seen the work progress in the South to realize that we haven't had that in the Southwestern Union. And uh, we had a burden to see something like this develop in the Southwestern Union where we could not only train, save and train our own young people, but actually um, motivate them and inspire them to go out and help uh, finish the work in the five states that comprise our union as, as well as, as far beyond. But let me just um, share a few thoughts from, from this little book, and um, <clears throat> I'll just read from a couple of experiences, but it, they are quite typical. It's a surprising how similar the work was in each of these little, little uh, ventures. The one in uh, Fountainhead Rural School and Sanitarium, how many of you ever heard of that? I'm sure just, uh, yes, I'm sure, I, I think it is. I wasn't sure where uh, it was actually located, but uh, this is written by B.N. Mulford. One of the principal features of the work here is the solution of the problem of self-support in the conducting of a school and sanitarium under one leadership and management. As a basis of this self-support, we have a large farm on which we grow the various crops adapted to this section. We have an orchard of a thousand trees, small fruits, the garden, a splendid dairy, and poultry. In addition, other departments are operated such as a cannery, the culinary, laundry, auto mechanics, carpentry, dressmaking, and weaving. These departments are but the natural development coming from the growth of the work to meet the institutional needs. Each line of work is being done by students guided by consecrated, efficient leaders. The earnings of the student in these various lines of endeavor make it possible for him to remain in school. Many of our students in this way make their entire school expenses. However, a student thus working his way after a year or two in school has done more than complete a grade or two in his scholastic studies. That student has gained a real efficiency in a number of industrial lines that will make him a better and stronger man as a home and community builder, whether that home or community be in this grand country of ours or whether it be in what we term the foreign field. The lad who can till the soil successfully and bring out of it beans and potatoes is head and shoulders above one 
who cannot do that thing. The young man who has learned to draw plans for simple buildings and has with his own hands aided in the erection of such buildings is in a thousand ways ahead of him who lands in a community with many diplomas but without practical experience. For this reason, we feel that the industrial phase of our effort is most important. In fact, it is the life of the place, and without it we wonder what excuse we might have to exist. For all over the world there are many schools where young people may pursue the ordinary courses of study, but too often the training given unfits rather than fits one for the life duties that students must meet. One most encouraging feature of this industrial effort as a functional, functioning part of the school program is that the student has part in the industrial work, who has part in the industrial work is not held back in his scholastic work, but is oftentimes keener and carries off his share of the intellectual honors. For many years we have offered ten grades of school work. Our classroom work is of such an efficient nature that students are accepted from this school for further work in other schools without examination. As educational standards have advanced everywhere, we have endeavored to put forth special efforts to keep well up to the standards to meet the demands of the state. We feel that students who earn their way through school should have an equal opportunity in scholastic training with those who do not work their way. To help make this possible, we have built up our library to more than 1,200 well-selected volumes. Music and art lessons are given those who seem so inclined. And this reminds me that um, recently we uh, learned that we can evaluate the scores on our ACT tests, college admission tests, online and see how they compare with any other state or organization in the United States. Um, someone at one of the first AMEN conferences in San Diego came and uh, had a daughter that badly wanted to come to Washington Hills Academy, and we, um, but the mother didn't want her to, and she was looking for everything she could to, to rationalize why she couldn't send her. And she says, I'm sure your scholastics aren't very good. And I said, well, I don't know. I just saw or heard a report that our average score was 22.5. And uh, she said, oh, really? And so that evening she went home and came back the next day, and she had learned that the average score at Loma Linda Academy was 22.2. And so she was rather impressed that we, <laughs> we our scholastics were uh, acceptable. <laughs> she didn't have that, that excuse anyway. But, you know, I tell people we haven't invented anything new. We uh, have just tried to follow God's counsel. And God's counsel that talks about studying and working, learning practical skills, is, is such a balanced program that students do well scholastically. We have no preparation, no classes preparing young people to take the ACT. We just tell them, you know, um, Next Sunday, you're going to take the a ACT. And so they go in and take the ACT, every, everyone in the class. And we have been told that many public schools just test the top 20% of their, their students. So um, <clears throat> God's, God's plan works in, in education or anything else, doesn't it? Um, going on here, just a couple more paragraphs from this Fountainhead um, ministry. Excuse me, I thought I turned that off. But um, she says, medical ministry has occupied a prominent place in our work from the beginning. For a number of years, we had no special sanitarium building, but carried on all of our work through the avenues of the homes. 
Later, when a building was provided, we were able to strengthen the educational phase of the medical work. We held health meetings and distributed health leaf leaflets throughout the community. Thus, the sanitarium has been a real educational factor. In addition to this, it has, it has done much for the relief of human suffering and has saved many lives. Those who come to us from the immediate community are usually poor and without funds. However, they... <clears throat> They, however, they need medical attention the same as others, and a great many have been treated without our receiving any remuneration whatsoever. Others come who are able to pay for their care, so that the cash income from the sanitarium is a real financial aid to the school. The earnings of the sanitarium are considered the same as those of any other department and go into one common fund of the institution. Cash thus received has many times kept the institutional wheels from stopping. The sanitarium is a real asset to the school, and the school is a great help to the sanitarium, for it supplies the strong young health that is needed in connection with this work. Considerable work in general surgery has been done in our little sanitarium during 1932, and not a single case was lost. Now here's a, a little, little sanitarium out in the country, started a school, have a little sanitarium. Do you think they have an Adventist physician trained in surgery at Loma Linda? No, they unfortunately do not, did not, apparently. <clears throat> well, let's, let's see what she says. In fact, most of our cases have progressed much better in their recovery than expected. In all of this, we have worked in close harmony with the local physicians. We seek their counsel at every step of the way, and we find that they are ready and willing to do all they can for the success of our work. They send us patients and bring their surgery to us. The physician who does most of our surgical work was reared in a community a short distance from the sanitarium and has recently returned with special training in surgery. We would be favorable to having one of our Loma Linda physicians connected with the sanitarium, but for some reason this has never po been possible as yet. The story we are telling shows what a few nurses and helpers working with the local physicians can do. Then, uh, <clears throat> skipping down here a little bit, she says, there are hundreds of places where this might be done with a small outlay of money. During the life of our institution, there has been no resident physician connected with it. We are not necessarily emphasizing this as a source of strength, but are giving out the facts and holding out the proposition that it is possible to do regular sanitarium and hospital work with a group of nurses in cooperation with the local physicians. The place that the sanitarium has grown to occupy in the hearts of the people was demonstrated to us quite fully about five years ago when our old building was destroyed by fire. The people of the community, with tears in their eyes, pleaded that we rebuild. Commercial organizations in the towns about us came with the same urgent request. These folks did more than urge. They reached down into their pockets and supplied about $1,500 in actual cash. Notice this is 1933. The depression is just beginning. Besides this, they opened their churches and commercial organizations to us from time to time and have thrown open the columns of the local papers for our use. This has been a source of encouragement to us and leads us to believe that the same cooperation might be found in other communities where a similar work might be established. Well, um, we could spend more time, but uh, so many of these stories are similar, where just a group of uh, people with an education, with qualifications as teachers or nurses, and uh, went in and were able to do a tremendous work for God. Just a couple of paragraphs from the story from El Reposo Sanitarium. 
and that was down in Florence, Alabama. Um, <clears throat> Neil Martin, RN, is the one that uh, wrote this. He says, our land was badly worn due to constant planting of cotton and corn, but by rotation of crops and the turning under of green cover crops, the land has, with very little expense, been built up to a remarkable degree of fertility. We are now raising practically all the vegetables we use on our table. From our fall and winter garden, we are able to have five to ten varieties of fresh vegetables from which to choose during the entire winter. Our orchard and vineyard and berry field supply us with a fine variety of fruit for the table in their season and much to can. Not having a physician connected with the sanitarium, we have relied upon outside doctors for the examination and supervision of all patients. Knowing our principles, they, are, they have, these, have prescribed very little medicine, and in many cases none at all, and have left the diet and treatments entirely to us. Well, um, again, simple methods, God's methods, tend to um, break down prejudice, and allow the gospel to enter hearts and minds in, in the communities that um, they, they entered. <clears throat> the last uh, chapter in the book is actually written by E.A. Sutherland, Dr. Sutherland, and it's entitled Broadening the Work, and actually we're going to just um, look briefly at some of the principles that he, that he um, described as the reason for Madison College's success. Now you remember all of these little units that we've been talking about were inspired by Madison. Madison began about 1904 and uh, struggled for, for years there but uh, developed a, a beautiful and balanced work and uh, I think we can still take these principles and apply them today. In fact I believe the reason God is blessing Washita Hills is because of his, uh, these principles that um, uh, Sutherland and McGann um, followed through with. Um, he says, certain principles and practices adopted in the beginning have contributed to the longevity of the work. And some of those principles are avoiding debt, and that's, I think, even more important today than it was uh, a few decades ago. But um, we, we know from personal experience what, uh, the burden, what a burden debt can be. And I am thankful to say just in September, 1st of September, we were able to pay off our long-term debt on the original property, the building that was uh, first um, erected. And um, at the present time, as an institution, we have two small loans on houses that were purchased in town that uh, are right now being used for, for uh, college students. And um, <clears throat> so, but we have uh, pretty much avoided debt other than that first major loan. Um, Dr. Sutherland said, build only as fast as there is money to finance the project. And this too is what we've done. We have an Academy Boys dorm that looks beautiful from the outside. You'll see a picture of it in a little bit, but it's, it's actually unfinished because we ha don't have funds to, to finish it. But uh, in the meantime, we have been able to complete our administration and classroom building, which has taken about five years to build. But uh, the students have participated with it, and um, the staff, we have a beautiful Academy Girls dorm that also took us about four years to build but it was uh, built without any indebtedness and uh, was completed for about uh, $32 a square foot, which is, is uh, 
nothing but the Lord's blessing. And an awful lot of learning goes into all of our buildings as well as the students and staff get to work together. <clears throat> okay, utilizing student labor that's helping to educate students who possibly could not afford to meet expenses with cash. And uh, we have not been able to be successful on the academy level of having students work their way through. Our tuition is about half what the tuition costs are in even some day schools, but, uh, and that is because we don't pay the students for, for their, um, their work and training experience. Some states, the labor laws, and uh, as they've been applied, have come down and changed that. And so far, I, we're thankful that that is not the case in Arkansas. And as we see how God is blessed, I'm convinced that God had a plan for planting this school in Arkansas where there aren't all of the restrictions. And the educational department knows that we're there, but they pretty well take a hands-on, hands-off uh, approach to Christian education. And so um, <clears throat> there are not many states that actually um, we could have had as much freedom to do um, as we have experienced. <clears throat> Live simply, raising so far as possible the food consumed by the family. And uh, that's also what uh, we have tried to do to be able to involve the young people in growing food is you know, at first thought, it's kind of a um, a depressing thing for them. Could you pour me some water? But um, <clears throat> after they get involved with growing things, they get excited about it. I remember a few years ago, well, it's been probably 10 or 15 years ago, when we decided that our students weren't getting adequate exposure to agriculture. They were all taking an agriculture class and they all in, were involved in planting in the spring and a little cultivating but come summertime when things are just about ready to harvest they're gone for the summer and so we announced that we would require the senior class to spend half of their summer at the school to uh, complete their agriculture training and I remember that first year there was wailing and moaning and they were all going to go somewhere else the next year and, and uh, they just couldn't imagine doing something like this. But they all came back and went through it. And at the end of the summer, every one of them told us that it was the best experience they'd ever had. The class working together, those long hot days and doing various things, putting up corn for three days in a row and that type of thing, um, they bonded together and it was such a blessing for them. And we found out later it was much easier for them to work together on deciding where they would go for a mission trip and <laughs> every, everything else that the senior class has to do. But um, <clears throat> we, we have uh, really seen God's blessing in the area of agriculture. And, and uh, although we're not raising as much of our food as, as was described in, in this little book, we do uh, raise quite a bit. Uh, develop a cooperative spirit of work among teachers and students. And this is one of God's counsels that teachers and students should work together and it will bond them together. And we have, we have verified that over and over again as we see the young people uh, find a camaraderie and, and appreciation for their teachers and staff at the school through that um, time spent together. Encourage, uh, encourage a high standard of citizenship with emphasis on self-government and the principles of Christian democracy. And uh, going on, 
again, this is Dr. Sutherland's list, employ only such workers as are willing to share alike, taking as remuneration what the earnings of the institution make possible. I suppose we're, we uh, haven't totally followed that, although um, our, our staff work on a very humble stipend, and, uh, but we have made sure that they get that every month. It, it, I know some institutions, you know, if there's money there, they get paid, and if there's not, they don't. And uh, over the years, we have, uh, we have made sure our staff get paid. Even if I had to borrow money and, uh, you know, to pay my own expenses, uh, we, would, we would see that happen. Um, <clears throat> give the students an opportunity to get an education if he is but willing to work for it and uh, most of them are, are willing to work for it. But you know, every institution, this reminds me of an experience that um, I had in visiting with an elderly gentleman several years ago in his home, and I was excited to find that he had been a student at Madison College. And so, you know, I'm always interested in interviewing people that have had experience at Madison. And so I asked him, well, what was your experience like at Madison? And he said, I almost lost my way at Madison. And I was surprised. I said, what? And he said, yes, I, I really almost lost my Christian experience at, ha at Madison. He said, I actually didn't have one when I went there. But I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he said, I, um, I'm not sure if he said he didn't have one, but he'd, he wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have a real close and growing connection with Christ. But he said uh, he came with nothing and had no resources at all. And so he had to work more hours than most students. And he would get up early in the morning and work with the milking or something, I think it was. And he missed worship every morning and sometimes even Sabbath, the church service on Sabbath. And so he was not being fed at all spiritually. And he said it wasn't until after two years there, he went to another Adventist college and there he found a relationship with Christ. and. Uh, that allowed him to be a, a real worker the rest of his life. But, you know, as long as these institutions are staffed and managed by human beings, there's going to be problems. Not everything is perfect. And, you know, sometimes we, we glamorize even Madison College in our minds and think it was a perfect place. But we need to realize that um, no place on this earth is perfect. And we are all just doing the best to follow God's counsel and and to prepare young people uh, for service. <clears throat> uh, stress the value of good health due to simple, rational living as an essential factor in the life of man, a man or woman in Christian service. And just a couple more here in this list of Dr. Sutherland's. Put in bold relief the teachings of the Bible and human physiology as a preparation for lives of usefulness. And I don't think this could be emphasized too much that the Bible and uh, inspired councils need to be consulted in every aspect of our living and the basis for them. And then develop in students the power of initiative and proprietorship by enabling them to be self-supporters in school and by associating them closely with a group of like-minded teachers who guide and supervise their activities. So that is um, the end of his list. But he goes on to say, right after giving this list of factors that enabled Madison to be so consistent over, uh, at this point, about two and a half decades of work, and it continued for about 20 years after that, 
He says, the tiny sanitarium had its birth among the virgin trees on the upper campus. Shops were opened, a food factory about to be closed was bought out and transferred to the school grounds. One after another, industries multiplied. The family has increased from a score to approximately 450, with corresponding increase in the number of cottages, cottage homes for students and teachers. Of these, there were nearly 100 on the extensive campus with 10 separate buildings united under a single roof for the sanitarium. Did anybody ever see that? Hear that? You remember seeing that uh, old sanitarium building? Uh, that would be a beautiful thing to see. Um, let's see, and another group of 15 buildings that house school and shops. And then he said, a sanitarium operated under the same management as a school on the school campus, an integral part of an educational institution was an experimental experiment undertaken for two reasons. One, students should have such training if they as lay members of the church were to go forth into needy sections to care for the sick, and two, the care of the sick on the campus, bringing the sick in contact with a wholesome, healthy class of young people, would serve as a godsend to the sick. And this it has proved to be. Health teaching is an entering wedge for other work, a wedge that pries open many a close shut door, and Madison has been, been richly rewarded in its efforts along this line by seeing prominent educators, outstanding professional men, and others converted to the methods of education in operation here. From every single angle, the institution is a school, an educational center, the sanitarium itself being one of the strongest factors in the development of men and women to carry forward its objectives. Well, that's uh, as much as we will, time as we'll take in looking at, at Madison, but um, I am thrilled with the way God used Madison and is using those, philosophy, that, those theories and those principles even today. Um, <clears throat> so again, we can see that uh, there were seldom professionals involved other than nurses and teachers in the establishment of these uh, institutions. But um, I, I wonder what could have done if there was a physician or a dentist that were able to join in those little operations and it would have uh, no doubt strengthened the work even more. And as we think of Madison itself, Dr. McGann and Dr. Sutherland were not physicians when they started, were they? They were educators. They were Professor McGann and Professor Sutherland. And Sutherland, as you may know, helped to uh, he taught at Union College. He went out and actually helped start Walla Walla College when it was just beginning and using some of these same pr principles there. Within just a few years, there were more students at Walla Walla College than in the University of the State of Washington. Of course, it was just starting too, but uh, <laughs> I thought that was, that was interesting to, to see that there were, um, it was bigger. I think there was 150 students or something like that. But um, <clears throat> nonetheless, they were, they were definitely educators. And as I look back on my role at Washtenaw Hills Academy, um, <clears throat> my wife says I'm the dreamer. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can envision things happening, but it, it takes other people to make them happen. So. <laughs> Uh, if it wasn't for my wife's educational background, you know, we could have never started a school and operated a school as successfully what as we have. have. Well, she has her bachelor's degree is in uh, 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 food and nutrition, but she also had a uh, minor in elementary education. Uh, no, secondary education. She later went back and got all the qualifications for elementary education. But then she got a master's degree in food and nutrition with emphasis in business administration at the University of Nebraska. So she has actually taught 
everything from pre from kindergarten. Our children, when they were young, taught them to read all the way to the university level. She taught at Loma Linda when we were there. So her educational background is probably more important than my professional background, actually. But anyway, it has been uh, a thrill to work together and to, to see how God is blessed. The role of my role early on was, um, well, just to kind of summarize, we won't have uh, time to tell too many stories here, but um, <clears throat> early on, we, I did all the, uh, the bill paying, and I had a book at the office, had one page with, with uh, the dental office bills and records when I paid them, and the other page for my personal, and another page for the school. And so uh, for a number of years, I did all of the, the business of the school. We started off the first year, and uh, it, was, it was thrilling to see how the Lord blessed. We, we questioned. We were working in Dark County, left Loma Linda. We were involved in the Three Amen program. Anybody ever hear of that? It was a training program at Loma Linda while we were there that uh, was inspiring medical and dental students to go into uninjured areas and start work. And uh, three amen stood for three angels' messages everywhere now. And uh, that was, it was an excellent program in giving us some background in natural remedies and things like that. And, and of course, I completed a degree in public health and was really um, trained also in giving stop smoking programs. And we had a health center um, the first few years we were there in, in the county seat uh, 20 miles away where we, we had uh, set up a vegetarian lunch counter and a health food store and a bakery and and all of this but um, <clears throat> nonetheless we um, initial well we we just kept being frustrated we hadn't actually before the days of amazing facts training in evangelism and we'd had some training in Bible studies and that type of thing but it just seems like we were totally unsuccessful in our soul winning efforts and we read a statement in the spirit of prophecy that said that if our schools are conducted properly they can be a means of starting work in unentered areas we said well maybe that's what we need to do let's let's pray about starting a school and our oldest daughter was um, had been to Oklahoma Academy the first couple of years uh, during the first few years of its operation and we saw the benefit and the blessing that it was having on young people's lives and uh, <clears throat> so that also contributed we we laid it out before the Lord they said well if the Lord wants us to do this we will need him to send us another teacher and some students and uh, within days we heard of a, Loma, uh, a Weimar graduate who had just graduated with a degree in secondary education, who had just married a young lady, and they were living about 40 miles away looking for work. And so we called him, see if he was interested, and he said certainly he was. And so he was the second teacher, and, and kind of out of the woodwork, three other students appeared besides uh, our uh, youngest, our, our oldest boy, Chester. And so we had four students and two teachers that first year and uh, basically used our home. But Ellen White says that we should borrow money if necessary in starting uh, schools. And so we borrowed $20,000 and bought a couple mobile homes, one we used for uh, classrooms and the other uh, we used for housing the girls and the boys stayed with us. And uh, we were looking for property because we knew we lived in town and it was not uh, property that was suitable according to the God's counsel. And so we um, <clears throat> were looking for property for several years there. The second year we had eight students and the third year we had 17 students. 
And the fourth year we had 23 students. By then we had a few more teachers too, but uh, our house was becoming uh, kind of overrun. We were <laughs> feeding about 35 people three times a day in, in our uh, kitchen living room. And, uh, but anyway, it was, it was a, a beautiful experience. We had a lot, a lot of interesting stories we could tell, but we saw the lives of young people being changed uh, in a very positive way, and, and that motivated us. And thankfully, even though our children were young and growing up during these early years, they, um, they never developed the bitterness that we see. They could see the changes in the lives of these young people as well. And they, they felt part of, part of the management, you might say. And so we're thankful that um, two of our four children are teachers today. And uh, the youngest is an engineer and has a stable family and is working um, in the church still. But um, <clears throat> As I said, my role has kind of changed drastically since those early days, and uh, it was after th four or five years that uh, the, the business was consuming too much of my time, and so when we found this property about five miles out of town, and uh, <clears throat> were able to purchase that and uh, begin developing a campus there. Um, Others took over the, the financial aspect of things, and, and first it was in my son's mobile home, a couple of rooms there, and then it grew into another uh, room in the girls' dorm when that was finished. And thankfully, last year we were able to complete enough of our administration building that now we have a beautiful facility with offices for teachers and administrators and classrooms and, and all of that that you'll see in just a little bit. But um, we started in 1988. And um, because my real burden originally, after reading Madison, God's Beautiful Farm, and being involved somewhat indirectly with the development of Weimar back in the 70s and uh, 80s, um, <clears throat> we really wanted to see a college form. But it was just such a huge um, undertaking, it seemed. And um, God opened doors here with the academy. We could start with basically the resources we had. So it wasn't until 2003 that the Lord brought together some uh, various um, situations that we were able to start the college with. Uh, we had planned for, for several years to do that. The board had actually voted it, and we had actually gotten approval by the state of Arkansas Department of Education for an unaccredited college program. And, uh, but nothing happened for about two or three years, and we wondered why the Lord hadn't pulled things together. Then um, a few years, I think it was 2000. Well, it was just fairly recently, a few years ago, we called and my wife was getting information from several different states about their requirements for educational programs. And the lady in the Department of Education told her that um, Arkansas no longer approved uh, unaccredited programs. And we said, well, you approved Washtenaw Hills a few years ago. And she said, yes, but that was the last one we approved. And uh, so we, we realize now that that was why the Lord ordained that we do that several years before because he knew that door was, was closing. So um, <clears throat> if it wasn't for that, we would have to go through the normal channels for an accredited college program, which would be uh, make it extremely difficult to follow, follow God's counsel. Okay, let me just uh, look at a couple of references here. Uh, oh, this is, uh, again, Dr. Sutherland saying in kind of conclusion, it is amusing to think now of the prophecy of faint-hearted friends and onlookers in the early days who said that it would be impossible to se secure patronage for a sanitarium so far from the city. 
but we have lived to see the wisdom of the instruction that sanitariums should be located in the country and associated with schools. Parents, our patients, and guests of all classes come to the Madison Rural Sanitarium. More than this, they patronize generously places much smaller than Madison and less easily reached, such as some of the institutions operated by former students of this school. And those are some of the ones we've just looked at this morning. And one of the um, criticisms that we have had is that we're too far from a major city, that if we were close to Dallas or Memphis or something like that, it would be much, you know, we could grow and develop much better. And um, I have said that <clears throat> I don't know why God planted this school where it is, but I think if we're still here on this planet in 10 years, we'll understand better why. But uh, regardless, I believe that um, <clears throat> we will see, uh, we have seen God's blessing to be in such a rural area. Could, could you tell us more specifically where you are? Oh, sure. We are uh, about 30 miles from Hot Springs, Arkansas, a little city of Amity. What, what direction? It's southwest of, of Hot Springs, uh-huh. And um, I started a dental practice in 1977 in Amity, Arkansas. And uh, so we've been there now about 32 years. And the school is five miles outside of Amity. And people think Amity is pretty rural with about 800 population, but <laughs> we, we are definitely in a uh, very remote area. <clears throat> um, sure. Another question. Have you picked up any of the non-Adventist residents living around that they, they sent their kids there? We've had a number of inquiries. Most of them were by uh, families of children who were kicked out of the public school. So we really haven't had too much interest in the school, um, the academy. Most people cannot imagine sending their children away from home. And we do not accept uh, village students in, unless the students are, um, their parents are working for the school. So um, that has helped to avoid a, a double standard of, of activities and behavior. So, <clears throat> But um, Desire of Ages, we read that, Be not anxious for the morrow. We are, <clears throat> we are to follow Christ day by day. God does not bestow help for tomorrow. He does not give his children all the directions for their life journey at once, lest they should become confused. He tells them just as much as they can remember and perform. The strength and wisdom imparted are for the present emergency. If any of you lack wisdom for today, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him, James 1.5. I throw this in just to uh, remind myself that uh, probably if we had known everything we would go through in, in developing a school, it might have given us so much fear and trepidation we wouldn't have started. But um, the Lord has blessed and, and provided, and I'm, I'm thankful that he gives us just enough information and counsel and instruction as, as we need it from, from day to day. <clears throat> just a little history, the beginnings of our, this is the old house. Actually, we bought the, uh, an old house for $5,000, which uh, was from here over. There was three bedrooms, and then we added the three-story addition after that, uh, in 1984, when my wife's grandmother came to live with us from New Orleans, and um, <clears throat> then and so upstairs there in these um, 
in this area up here, there's a large classroom and a library. And so that was one of the main classrooms we used when the academy started. And uh, the boys actually lived in the bedrooms downstairs. And so we as a family had our bedrooms and living quarters more in the upper area. So they, it was, you know, our family was basically separated from, from the other activities, which, which was a real blessing. And we... <clears throat> Um, grew, we had a garden right nearby there, and uh, we actually had to clear the woods there. It was solid growth of woods when we bought the property, so uh, since then we've been able to clear more and um, create more room. Some of the things that we have been involved with, we like to take the kids camping once or twice a year, some of the beautiful uh, state parks and areas. We have several lakes fairly close to where we're located, and Sabbath afternoon we often take hikes, and uh, um, at least once a month we get out when the weather's nice. Other times we will be doing uh, sharing in the communities or um, in bad weather, we write letters of cheer and encouragement for people that are sick and, and a number of different activities <clears throat> on, on Sabbath. We, um, our first foreign mission trip, we took all the kids in a bus down to Mexico. And uh, no, this was before that. This was, uh, we actually went with a Maranatha trip down into Mexico and helped build a church. You can see on the left is the old church that the one on the right was replacing. And that was, that was a lot of fun. I think I pulled several hundred teeth at that trip. But um, in 98, we started, um, uh, let me go back to that, the mission uh, idea. In 98 or 97, we started taking our students on foreign mission trips doing evangelism. And some of them were combined evangelism and, and church construction. But that has been a, a real thrill as we've seen young people get involved with evangelism. And a few of them get bitten by the evangelism bug. And we, we have a number of our graduates who have been uh, amazing facts evangelists and uh, pastors and, and <clears throat> involved in evangelism one way or another. And um, some of the, well, actually the founders of GYC were our graduates as well. So that's. Uh, a real thrill to see what has been done, and I think we've stopped even keeping record. It was something like 5,000 baptisms we, uh, the students have participated with in various countries from all over the world. Each class seems to want to go to a different country, and we can't always arrange that, but uh, anyway, they um, have been to many, many different parts of the country. Uh, we've always tried to make graduation a big thing for our seniors, and um, the picture on the left um, is one of our early graduations. Uh, you may recognize the man in the middle there. Anybody know who that is? It's been a long time. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's Dennis Preview a, a few years ago. Yes. And uh, to his left is Eugene Pruitt. Um, he was a staff member uh, when he was, I think, 18. He came as a teacher and spent five years with us and then has come back and been te teaching at the college fantastic uh, teacher. <clears throat> and uh, the picture on the right is the mobile home that we had our classes in, and then on Sabbath it was our church uh, facility as well until we outgrew that and built another little structure that uh, we've uh, long since outgrown and, and need to build an, a new church there in town. Um, 
<clears throat> this was, again, another graduation scene. Our first graduation, two, two young people, Chester and a young lady from Missouri, and um, the rest of the students there on the, on the platform. And this is Adventist Church about 15 miles away that we used since we didn't have facilities then. Before asking them to leave their nets and fishing boats, Jesus had given them the assurance that God would supply their needs. The use of Peter's boat for the work of the gospel had been richly repaid. He who is rich unto all that call upon him, he has said, Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over. In this measure he had rewarded the disciples' service, and every sacrifice that is made in his ministry will be recompensed according to the exceeding riches of his grace, Ephesians 3.20 and 2.7. So we don't feel like we have actually sacrificed much. It has been so, there have been so many rewards and blessings, and uh, let me just share a little bit of some of those things that um, give me a sense of, of satisfaction and an assurance that this is God's program and it's not, you know, it's not Dr. Clark's school as people in the community think of it as. It is, it is God's school. <clears throat> um, one of the things that experiences that I enjoy every year we take in the fall, <clears throat> after about six weeks of school, we take the kids on a camping trip and um, we have activities, our own, you know, the young people lead out in Sabbath school and church services and then have a hike in the afternoon. And then we always have a bonfire and we, we start sharing stories and the kids just open up. And this year I think they've opened up quicker and, and more freely than I've ever seen them in sharing uh, what they had experienced in being at Washington Hills Academy. <clears throat> they, they talked about some of the struggles they had in deciding to come and being able to come and uh, how some of them wanted to go somewhere else and so on. Um, <clears throat> they talked about victories that were gained over music and movies and internet trash. They told about changes that they had made in their lives in just six weeks of school, how it is changing their families as well after coming home, coming back from break, <clears throat> telling about how they're learning to take Bible texts and break it down into meaningful application to their personal lives, <clears throat> telling about their love for their teachers and staff and the Christ-like example and caring that they provide telling to the best of their ability their non-Adventist parents how to keep the Sabbath and why. I wish I had time to tell you about this experience. This uh, one young lady came as a non-Adventist <clears throat> from South Carolina, I believe it was. It is. And um, going back home. And before she left, though, she'd had a Bible study with one of the college students who gave her a little outline, a, a few topics to to uh, of understanding of why we keep the Sabbath and so she was able to share that with her mother and some other relatives who were pressuring her not to go back and and um, <clears throat> it was thrilling to to see uh, hear her testimony um, <clears throat> telling about how God has led them to o OHA or OHC and kept them from going somewhere else telling about how God is using them as they develop a lifestyle of witnessing and hearing them pour out their hearts in prayer requests for their family and friends and um, <clears throat> another thing that um, gives me assurance that God is blessing here is the way we see the young people um, being hired after they graduate from Washtenaw Hills College. They, they don't, they're usually hired before they, they graduate, whether it's, it's Bible workers or pastors or, <clears throat> or uh, um, 
um, teachers. We wish we could, we could train more teachers because godly, uh, soul-winning teachers are really needed everywhere in the world. And um, I think about a third of our students in the college are in either elementary or secondary education. Um, and then one other, uh, oh, an another little story about one of our um, college graduates from May, excuse me. As a um, pastoral ministry graduate, he did his, um, um, what do they call his practicum, practical training during his senior year with a pastor in Kentucky. And I'd mentioned the city, but I've forgotten which one it is. I don't remember if it's Louisville or Lexington or which one, but it was a fairly large uh, church of three or 400 members anyway. <clears throat> they um, appreciated him so much. When their pastor took a call to the West Coast, they have asked him, the conference has invited him to be the interim pastor of this church. And he, the pastor was scheduled to start an evangelistic series, I think it was this week, and he was stepping right in preaching that evangelistic series. But um, that's really thrilling to see God using our young people at such an early age. So will, will this young gentleman uh, most likely in a year or two be sent to the seminary by, uh, by the conference? I have no way of knowing that, but um, I would think that might well be. The, the seminary, there, there would not be a problem no. accepting that no. education? No, no. Um, our students are accredited through Griggs University as long as we accept Griggs University, which uh, I don't think there's much question is about Don, that. Dr. Don Solly, is he still there at Griggs? Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. He's a gentleman in favor of exactly what you're doing. Yes, yes. Because he's yes. told us that this, anything you do in an education, let me know, I'll mm -hmm. help you out. Yes. I mean, that's on the general conference level. Right. Right. And um, <laughs> yes, he's, he's very familiar with, with our program and has been, but he's get, he gets pressure to uh, do to other things, but um, uh, then the other, one of the things, experiences that I have had, and I'll end with this and we'll do look at this video real quick and might have some other questions for you, but um, <clears throat> the experience that has convinced me more than ever that this is God's plan and God's school, not, not my own, that we're just facilitating His plan, is <clears throat> uh, occurred in March 6, 1998. This was almost one year after a devastating series of tornadoes came through Arkansas and did devastation for about 250 miles and totally wiped out our county seat, just about the main part of Arkadelphia, and it's all been rebuilt now, and it's, you know, it's very nice. This was almost one year uh, later. <clears throat> um, I, it was on a Friday, and I had gone to a continuing education course in Fayetteville. And being a pilot, I'm always looking for excuses to fly. And of course, I had flown up to Fayetteville Thursday night and uh, spent Friday in this seminar with plans to fly back in time for sundown on Friday, uh, Friday evening. And um, <clears throat> as I got back to the airport and looked at the weather radar, and of course I could look at the sky and see, well, it doesn't look like I'm going to fly anytime soon because there's big black clouds rolling in across from Oklahoma. And uh, I looked at the weather radar, and everything was clear. This whole, the whole area didn't have any clouds anywhere. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere in western Oklahoma, this huge 
you know, thunderstorm system built uh, popped up on the screen and divided into three major sections. One was coming right toward us. As I looked at the map, the other with bright red activity, which means some very strong winds, was coming right straight toward northern Clark County where, where Washtenaw Hills is located. And then there was another uh, group of clouds coming below that. And I thought, man, it looks like you know, the devil's trying to destroy uh, our school. If it looks down there like anything, you know, like it was here. And um, <clears throat> so I asked the uh, FBO there if they would uh, uh, loan me the, the courtesy car. And many airports now have courtesy car that a pilot can just, you know, take it for an hour. And they usually assume you're going to go get, a, get something to eat. And they figured I was going to get some supper. And anyway, I took this car and went out and <clears throat> a few miles away and found a real quiet place and spent an hour praying for God's protection over Washington Hills Academy. I just had a feeling that, <clears throat> that this was the devil working to try to destroy it. <clears throat> and I prayed specifically that God would prevent any loss of life in the school and surrounding areas. <clears throat> well. Um, it wasn't until the next day I had to rent a room and, and go back the next morning. Um, <clears throat> what was happening at Washington Hills Academy, we were involved in evangelistic meetings in Glenwood, the nearest town besides Amity, and um, the students were all and all the staff were at this hotel facility having uh, evangelistic series and um, <clears throat> the weather siren went off, the electricity went off, and they all gathered in the middle of the building with safe place and sang for about 30 minutes until the storm was passed. And um, <clears throat> they were thankful, of course, that uh, there was no tornado there. But as they were driving back to the campus, as they got closer and closer, they saw just terrible devastation. And there were so many trees down across the road, they, they had to turn around and uh, go back in another way to the campus. And we, they wondered if the campus was still even going to be there. And when they got there, they found that nothing was damaged at the, at the campus. <clears throat> One staff member had a dog house with a female dog and four or five puppies. And that had been picked up and carried about 35 feet. And, uh, but even the puppies weren't hurt, weren't hurt at all. <laughs> but there was no damage on campus. And we were just amazed. Because just beyond the campus is where it touched down and uh, went for, I think it was 20 miles and destroyed 2,000 acres of timber and 35 homes, went through another community over toward Arkadelphia. And um, <clears throat> I was talking to the county judge last week, I mean, r the next day after I got home, and on Sunday, I guess it was, and um, he told me, he says, he was telling me about um, the effects of this. He says, you know, the strange thing is there was nobody injured in this tornado. And he says, except one lady the next day walking over the rubble of her home fell and broke her wrist, I think, or something like that. But I thought, what a privilege. And it wasn't until three months later that some of the loggers in the area said, did you know you have a lot of timber damage on the school's property? We said, no, we didn't know that. We, you know, there's about 400 acres, and we often don't get back to the back of the property very often. It's across the river and things. So we went back there and were just amazed at how, many, how much damage was done. <clears throat> and as we look at it, apparently the tornado had actually started back there on the school's campus, our school's property had lifted up over the campus and came down just on the other side and continued on. So uh, <clears throat> we are just really 
uh, convinced that God used his omnipotent power to, to thwart the plans of the, of the devil and uh, save, save his, his school. Well, I think I have one more slide, and then we will... Um, no, actually, it's a slide that we already looked at. Let me see. Okay, uh, yes, this is another thing that I remind myself of. As activity increases and men become successful in doing any work for God, there is danger of trusting to human plans and methods. There is a tendency to pray less and to have less faith. Like the disciples, we are in danger of losing sight of our dependence on God and seeking to make a savior of our activity. We need to look constantly to Jesus, realizing that it is his power which does the work. While we are to labor earnestly for the salvation of the lost, we must also take time for meditation, for prayer, and for the study of the Word of God. Only the work accomplished with much prayer and sanctified by the merit of Christ will in the end prove to have been efficient for good. And uh, that's, you know, as we see the many evidences of God's blessing, we want to make sure that He gets the credit that uh, um, it's not what we have done, but what he is doing through us. And let's bow our heads for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you are coming soon, and we pray that we might keep focused on the spiritual realities of the warfare that we're in, and that we will be responsive to your voice calling us, whether it is to start an institution, whether it is to support or strengthen an institution, or whether it is to do the task that lies before us. <clears throat> we pray that you'll bless each one here as they go about their daily work. Bless their homes and their families, and keep us all safe until Jesus comes, we ask in his name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen. Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.